So I'm speaking with composer Rolf Kent, who has demonstrated his versatility as a storyteller across many different genres and has built lasting collaborations with directors like Alexander Payne and Jason Reitman. Uh, Rolf is known for his music and films like Up in the Air, Sideways, Legally Blonde, Wedding Crashers, About Schmidt, and many, many more. Uh, recently, Rolf scored uh, the Laurel and Hardy biopic uh, titled Stan and Ollie. Uh, Rolf, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you. Nice, nice to be talking to you. Of course. Uh, so to start, I know we did a, a more in-depth interview kind of uh, last year, but I'd love to kind of revisit your your background and your story and your path to becoming a composer. Uh, so I was wondering if you could talk about kind of when in your life did uh, did you find music or did music find you, however you see it, and uh, and what point did you decide to make it a career? Uh, my, my earliest recollection is of the age of about five, um, going to see some local theater company in a small town. And just being absolutely mesmerized by the little trio, you know, bass, drums, and uh, piano. And um, so that's my earliest recollection of being intrigued with music. Um, and because uh, it was around then that I, I sort of demanded to learn double bass because I had been so inspired <laughs> by seeing the bass player. And uh, my mum talked me down to a violin. Which I have to say, for a, for an adult to tolerate the sound of a child scratching a violin is <laughs> is, is a real misstep on her part. Um, but the um, well, that's so that's the uh, that's that's that bit. And in in terms of becoming a composer, um, I think I just did it sort of automatically. I was just sort of doing it anyway. And then around the age of twelve, it occurred to me that when he came home from the cinema. You uh, you remember the music, and uh, and so that music already had associations for you, um, even though you'd never heard it before. From this point onwards, you you connected that music with a memory, and I thought that's great. You know, it's like it's like our song. You know, you, you having a, a strong association with a brand new piece of music. So at the, around then, around twelve, I thought, you know, if I'm going to be a composer, I should write music for films because it has those associations and it just seemed like a great powerful way to be doing music. Absolutely. So what was kind of your first step to getting, I guess, getting your foot in the door? I mean, a lot of young composers either take up apprenticeships or kind of get a big break or something. What was your kind of first moment where you kind of like, okay, I'm now a professional composer. Well, the, you know, the, the, well, the the first step was nowhere near being a professional composer, but the uh, first step was sort of, talking about it and uh, being in bands. And then I was chatting to a friend of mine at university and um, he was making, he was writing a, a play to, uh, for the university theater group to take to the Edinburgh Festival. And he said, well, you want to be a film composer. Why don't you write the music for this play? And so uh, I did. And uh, so that was really the first step. Um, I also wrote music for a, a local college for their dance uh, program and stuff like that. But uh, but that was really the first time I sort of uh, did did this kind of job of writing music for drama. Right. And right. Uh, yeah. And then from that point onwards, it was uh, doing lots of you know music for student films and things like that. Um, but no, I didn't have an apprentice. I didn't have an apprenticeship as such. I uh, I just sort of try to persuade people to let me write their music. <laughs> and then that turned into getting some documentaries and some short bits of television drama. And then that got me um, on the way. Absolutely. 
So if you had to describe your music and stylistic sensibilities to someone who's never heard your music before, how would you describe yourself? Like if you had to kind of look at your music in a mirror. I don't... Oh God, I don't know. How would you describe it? I'm too, I'm too subjective. Right. How would you describe it? Uh, I think you're very uh, in tune with character and, and uh, building kind of an emotional undercurrent. Um, and your themes are very, uh, while they're not like over bashing you over the head, but they're so kind of like, I don't know. You, you, it's like using a fine needle. I would, I would describe your music as kind of a, a nice fine needle kind of weaving its way through the, through the picture. I don't know if that's how you oh, see interesting. it. <laughs> that's what yeah, I love but, about but your I music. Still, if, but if I didn't know anything about music, I still wouldn't know what, what kind of music that sounds, what that sounds like. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's, I guess, I don't know. Maybe it's easier for me because I'm not a musician. I kind of look at it completely from a, visual uh, sound storytelling <laughs> point of view but i don't know <laughs> right because i think um, because when, when people ask me that question i normally just go well it's sometimes orchestral it's sometimes small groups uh it really varies um i quite like i really like melody and right. that's kind of that's the best i can do sometimes it's jazz mostly it isn't but it's often it's often inspired by some jazz sensibilities but um you know, my favorite composer growing up was, was John Barry, oh, which yeah. um, now I, I fully appreciate. I don't sound like John Barry, but um, and, and it was uh, for me um, when because I was intimidated with it by the idea of writing for orchestra. It just seemed like, wow, you've got a room full of musicians. How can you possibly come up with an idea for each of them to play? And then listening to John Barry and also Tchaikovsky, oh. both of them had this really sort of uh, elegant and simple way of writing. And um, and the result was that you could, if you look at it on paper, you just go, oh, that's that's actually doable. It's it's like four elements, and in, it's not it's not thirty two or ninety six elements. It's four, and they weave so you know they balance so well, they counterbalance so well, and it's it's quite doable. I mean, pop music is basically four elements or sometimes less, but right. um, so that's when I sort of got my mind around the idea that uh, this was actually doable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's let's uh, jump and talk about uh, Stan and Ollie, which is I really love the film. I think it's something that was, was special. I wasn't expecting how uh, emotionally uh, resonating it would be with me. And I grew up watching Laurel and Hardy, and uh, so to see it was you know not just as a fan of Laurel and Hardy, but this was a great story. So how did you get involved? Uh, I was with the this same. Film? I, I I didn't I didn't expect it to be particularly resonant for me either. Um, really, That's I, I I took it on. I took it on because I really liked the director and I just thought the director was, was going to be a, is a great storyteller. And, uh, and I just thought it would be great to be working with him, but I, I didn't think, you know, I thought Lauren Hardy, I've seen Lauren Hardy films as a kid, but I wasn't particularly drawn to watching them again. Right. But then in working on it, working on it, as you say, it's, it's, it speaks to you much more than you would have expected. And, oh my God. Yeah. Very um, much. Uh, but maybe that's you know that's that's substantially down to great storytelling and great performances. I mean, uh, Steve Coogan, I, I, I've I've never seen him disappear and in, into a role so beautifully as he did in this one, where you, you just you you don't, you don't know it's Steve after a while. You just you, you've just seen Stan Laurel, absolutely, and uh, and uh, the same for John C. Riley. Just an extraordinary performance. So. I, you know, yeah. Anyway, carry on. What were you, what were you asking? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but when you first uh, came on board, uh, what were the, um, I guess, the initial discussions about music? Because uh, 
you know, with biopics, it's very easy to become, I guess, I don't know, I find a lot of them to be kind of melodramatic and over, overdone, but this one seems so natural and organic and the emotions seemed very real. So what were the discussions you had about the music and what was the approach you eventually took? The, you know, uh, John Baird, the director, was very keen to, well, we, we, our initial discussion was, do we want to do a period score or do we want it much more contemporary? I mean, mm. you could go full Chariots of Fire on it and have it just nothing to do with period at all. Um, you know, I, I brought up uh, Saving Mr. Banks, which mm. a beautiful score, but, yeah. but doesn't, really, doesn't really speak to period. It actually simply speaks to emotion and, and storytelling. And uh, and I really liked that idea. I, I was I thought you know the saving Mr. Banks approach, Tom Newman's approach, lovely. Mm-hmm. And uh, John Baird was going. We need to you know, we need more more sense of legacy. We want to make sure that we uh, embed ourselves in a little bit in the past. Um, but so so what we end up with is something which has uh, it's it references the past and hopefully leaves it open. It, it's certainly not music of the period, but it's, but it's inspired by the sort of my, my feelings about silent movie and early talkie, uh, early talkies and my recollection of their theme. I actually deliberately never listened to their theme at all during the writing of it because I, I, I didn't want to be sort of pushed around by the sort of hemmed in by the parameters of that you know, of, of music of, that existed, but I wanted to be inspired by the idea of you know the memory of what that felt like and how that felt. So there are definitely little references to their theme, but as I say, I had not listened to their theme at all. Uh, so that dun, 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 yeah. occurs a little bit in the music, um, very deliberate, you know, and, and really just uh, to, to please. <laughs> to please John Baird, so that you go, oh yes, yes, good, we're, we've ticked that box. But yeah. uh, but actually, when you listen to it, when you, and you, when you listen to it, you just go, oh yeah, that's a reference to the theme. But in fact, you never hear that figure quite like that at all in the original music. So it, so I did, you know, I was quite pleased. I did the job without sort of uh, crossing the lines I didn't want to cross. So it it ends up being a, a sort of modern score with a a lot of uh, gestures to the past. That's Absolutely. what I'd say. Yeah. And uh, how did you treat uh, handling kind of two protagonists? You had, you know, uh, two of them. Do you treat them separately? Do you kind of treat them as one unifying thing? I mean, how did you kind of uh, approach these characters? You know, essentially as one thing, but, the, the, you know, the, um, the, the use, and I remember this from the theme, that there's the clarinet, and the bassoon, or the sort of the high and the low. The, and so in Woodwind, just thought, Woodwind is very, speaks, in my mind anyway, to the, the silent era and the early talky era, that sort of Dixieland kind of sound. So I thought, why not uh, use the, the high clarinet for Stan and the bassoon for Ollie? Mm. And... So we do have a little bit of that juxtap- juxtaposition, but it's not that they have separate themes. It's really just that we used, you know, ended up trying using those instruments in ways that simply echoed the nature of the relationship. And uh, it's, it's most profound in my mind anyway, when uh, there's that little comedy sketch when they arrive at a hotel earlier on. And there's a, there are these little exchanging that that's the, 
it's a sequence which is the most like um, Mickey Mousing music, mm-hmm. or most like silent silent era music. It's got that kind of right. nonsense going on, and that was very deliberately you know choosing the instruments to match the the uh, character. But um, but otherwise, the main idea of the music is about their relationship, about how they're getting closer during this uh, this tour, and. Uh, so, yeah, really, the, the music is thematically about the pair of them, not about the individuals. Right. I also loved how you handled, uh, well, just the film itself and the music handled the tone of the movie, because I found it, I mean, towards the end, I, I mean, it got really heavy with me. It was just, you know, I, uh, we're talking about how you didn't expect it to move you so much, but I mean, it has this kind of theme of nothing lasts forever. You know, our time in the spotlight will one day fade, you know, the quote that Ollie says, I'll miss us when we're gone. I mean, there's a lot of like deep levels of existentialism going on. And um, so how, yeah. did you, how did you approach this, uh, the tone of the film? Because it does get heavy and serious at times and of course there's kind of some lighter moments but it's really a drama more than anything you know i just feel my way into it there's no real way of describing it um mm. you just try things out and uh you, you know quickly you discover when you when you try write something and try it against the picture you quickly realize whether it's working or not and uh definitely with the you know involvement of john baird in you know navigating that but um, but that's really it, just feeling it through and discovering, you know, how to handle it. I mean, for me, the, you know, there, there's that ending sequence, which was a gift to, to me. I mean, a gift to any composer, really, because it's this protracted sequence which um, has no sound other than music. Yeah, you're on the spotlight there, yeah. Yeah, so you get to do whatever you want. And, uh, and that's really where the, 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 the emotional melodies can soar and really pull the heartstrings because we know that this is, as you say, this existential moment of uh, the end of things. Yeah. And uh, that's amazing to do. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned that, that end scene, you also mentioned the hotel uh, moment, but is there any particular moment in the whole, in the film that really stood out to you that really, that you loved writing the music for and that it was kind of a, a joy for you kind of creatively got you going? Well, some, you know, there's one bit which I love listening to it now. It was, very difficult to do, uh, partly because you know me and, and John just couldn't agree about what, what was supposed to be happening. But it's a montage sequence when you 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 see them traveling around the country, gathering momentum, and there's this map showing you them going from city to city to city, and the and the music has to be is very lively, very uh, energized. And I came up with that idea, and I loved it, and John hated it, so I came up with another one, and. And he, he did the second one. I was going, oh, God. And, and, and it's one of those moments where I'd left it really to the end because I knew it was just going to be a, a nightmare. And mm-hmm. I, I dreaded that he'd already fallen in love with a piece of temp score. Oh, and no. he goes, no, I haven't. I haven't. So, um, uh, so I left it until pretty much the last minute. And then, and then I sort of pulled out all the stops and had another go. And uh, I was so happy when he approved it and it was all good. And uh, and it's also a lovely, lively piece of music. It's got a big energy. So uh, that sequence, when I when I listen to it, I just go, ah, oh, very satisfying. But I know <laughs> that it was partly, partly satisfying because it was torture to get there. But right, the um, reward was worth the journey. <laughs> yeah. Also, the you know the very ending titles. So you know, as you say, it gets quite sort of existential. You know, quite emotional at mm-hmm. the end. 
And um, but then you've got to let send the audience out with um, you know with some of the actual energy of how it, of, of Laura and Hardy of that buoyancy and and, uh, and life. And uh, so I'd written a piece of music which matched. We have this old. Um, sequences of Laura and Hardy dancing and I'd matched the tempo precisely. I got it perfect. It was as if they were dancing to my music and John heard it and went, this was the day before I went into the studio and he went, no, it's not working for me. And I was going, oh God, no, not another one of these. And, uh, and thankfully my music editor, Nick, said, why don't you use, why don't you base something off this other cue. And I went, okay, we'll try that. Mm -hmm. And did that. And it was the whole ending title sequence, which is, you know, quite a substantial bit of music with a lot of energy, a lot of big orchestration. And I did it. I rushed it off that day, went in the studio the next day and, and it was all good. It was all approved. And, um, and that was, so that also very satisfying. And it's also satisfying because you've been through, in, when you watch the film, you've been through this whole emotional arc and you've come down to this place and then finally you get this and it really does seem to lift the spirits. And it's part, it's largely because you're watching you know, Stan and Ollie capering on screen, but it's uh, but it really has a sense of delivering you to a, a really joyous place. That's, that's incredible because I don't think a lot of people, t uh, you know, really take a look at, I mean, I'm one of those people who sits in the movie theater and watches the entire credits because I just kind of take in everything that I just saw. I know a lot of people leave the second the lights come up, but I mean, just to sit there, yeah, and, and how you did that was amazing. I've, I've been to movies where, you know, they cut to the first title card and it's just like a completely piece of source music or needle drop that's just completely off t t tone of what we just saw and it kind of ruins the whole, it kind of ruins the whole movie almost. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you watch a serious thing. I know. Thing and, <laughs> So I'm glad that you took all I the know, time to make it work. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, you know, it, John had said that I didn't have to. They could, they could reuse something, but I just thought, now this is an opportunity to do something really good. And uh, so, anyway, yeah, good. Thank you. Appreciate. Thank you for appreciating it. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, congratulations on the film. I really loved it. I think it's uh, really special. I hope a lot of people seek it out because I know it's kind of one of the smaller independent films, but. Um, but kind of uh, looking outside of uh, your film music, you do keep busy with other projects, which I love to see kind of how you're creative in these other realms, of course. Uh, and you have these different types of experimentation and, and sound design things. And um, I wanted to ask you about The Unmarked Door, which I think is really cool. Um, so in your own words, what is The Unmarked Door? The Unmarked Door is an immersive theater company uh, specifically trying to do things with sound and music. Uh, it, it seems like there's I love immersive theater it, you know there's Punch Drunk who are in London and, and New York and uh, there are lots of other uh, amazing uh, immersive theater entities like Secret Cinema in London but uh, very few do live music and do music in an interesting way so I created this theater entity uh, specifically to uh, embody the, my love of immersive theater, but also to take it in a musical direction and see what that would look like and how that would feel. Because I love this idea, you know, I love flash mobs. I love the yeah. idea that you're in a restaurant and suddenly, you know, it seems like suddenly there's a song going on from one random person at one table. And then, uh, <laughs> then two lines later, there are people at every table singing and you just go, what the hell is happening? <laughs> and I, 
I love that sort of sense of hair-raising excitement. You just go, oh my God, this is incredible. So that's what I want to, you know, that's what I love. That's what I'm very driven to. So uh, I'm, I'm, that's what the Unmarked Door seeks to create. And uh, I mean, what is the reaction? What is your, how does it feel to like see an audience react in real time to what you're presenting? Uh, well, it's intriguing. You know, audiences are different every night because, yeah. you know, performances are actually slightly different every night. Uh, but it's amazing. It's amazing. And it's great fun. And, um, you know, one of these days I'll figure out how to break even. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, but it's uh, an absolutely um, life-affirming thing to do. Yeah, and I see you have one, I think, planned for March of this coming up beer. Is that the next production? Yeah, we'll see, uh, March may be a little sooner than it actually happens, but we'll see. Oh, well. I yeah, it's a, a, it a out, very so. exciting project. <laughs> cool. I hope um, you do. Yeah, definitely. Um, so going back to movies, kind of to, to wrap things up, uh, uh, is there any other creative role on a film besides composer that you would ever want to take a crack at? Maybe like writing or directing or... I think uh, John Powell had his answer was stunt stuntman, but I don't know if you have, you know, is there any other role uh, that you've, you've never wanted to do that you've never had the chance to do? Well, I have produced a film, right, and have, uh, yeah. and that was amazing. That that was great. Um, it's very right brain, and whereas composing is very no, which one is it? It's very left brain <laughs> when composing is very right brain, so they don't sit well together. But, uh, but producing was fantastic. And in fact, that's why I felt capable of producing theater is mm. because well, I've done a film, you know, how different can it be? But, um, but I, but I know I don't want to direct, I don't want to act, don't want to write. Um, so I think, but I love sound and I, you know, so I would do, I would love to do sound. Um, is it sound editing? I think it is. I think they call yeah. it sound editing when you actually create sounds. It's like the sound of the millennium Falcon. I remember seeing a documentary and they were talking about the Millennium Falcon not starting in, um, uh, that was in the second of uh, the Star Wars films ever. Mm-hmm. And they used the combination of the piping in the bathroom at the studio, which when you turn the tap, it sort of sang. It's sort of a... <laughs> so they went and recorded the bathroom and a few other things and that became the... And it, that just seems... That would be my my other my second choice is to uh, create sound effects and do amazing things like that. Yeah, those are. I mean, those 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 people who do that are. I mean, it's such. I mean, I know. I always watch the documentaries and stuff. I know, like with Jurassic Park, they had they recorded a lion for the T Rex and all. Just changing the world that we know it and kind of turning it on its head to become something else. I think is super interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, love it. Um, but uh, Rolf, I just wanted to thank you for your time uh, today. It was so great chatting with you and catching up. And um, I want to congrats again on Stan and Ollie. It's such a great film and a great score. And uh, of course, can't, I'm always looking forward to what comes next. So thank you. Super. Thank you so much. Real pleasure chatting. <laughs>